0: What's up, Cairo Sushi family? Happy Friday! Oh man, we've been waiting to get this one locked down. We had some technical difficulties last month. Uh, first of all, I'm joined by you know my Asian brother from another mother, uh, Dan Bay from Closed for Cairo, uh, getting the less, getting the yes with less stress. Um, and uh, today we finally have, you know I love bringing in, Dan, you know I love bringing in smart mofos from outside chiropractic like Tucker Max, Brian Tracy. I think this dude is, um, and we both agree on this, is the probably the, the, the most logical trendsetter in sales today. He's got a new book coming out, Eat Their Lunch. We're going to talk about uh, winning uh, your clients away from your competition, your customers away. I'm really interested in, in this in his uh, theories on this. Um, and we're joined by Anthony Amarino. Um, you can also check out him at the salesblog.com. And uh, Dan, hey, buddy, good to see you. Anthony, thank you for joining us, man.
1: Thanks for having me on. I'm sorry we couldn't make it work last time. It's probably an operator error on my part here.
0: It's, it's all good. Um, I'm going to acquiesce to Dan to, to kind of get the ball rolling, because I, I know he's like a kid in a candy store, two sales guys talking, uh, and I'm secretly a sales guy, but people label me a marketing person. But Dan, why don't you start off with, with Anthony, where you want to go?
2: You got it. Man. First of all, Anthony, I am a huge fan, so I'm a little bit starstruck. I'm trying to keep my <laughs> acting chops cool. It's similar to when I sat next to Brian Tracy for dinner, uh, for dinner in Vegas, Tristan, similar, uh, so first of all, yeah. thanks for having, um, for being on. So actually, uh, some of the work that I use as inspiration to lead my team and, and my colleagues is actually very specific. And I'd like to start there with you because this is essentially what is so important in our industry. And that's chapter two of The Lost Art of the Clothes. And I gotta tell you, Anthony, that shit was spot on. And I'll tell you why one of my biggest challenges and and tristan you agree with me on this is rebranding this thing called sales for what it truly is not what the antiquated your your words the antiquated um uh, message of what sales used to be or what gets to the press the press meaning the stuff that you know the the sleazy uh, car salesman and i think you told the story about uh when you were in a band and you bought your van for the first time um that whole message so I want to start with you on, um, on whatever you can share about that, about rebranding this thing called sales for what it truly is, not being something sleazy, but in essence, something that we're doing to leading our prospects to a decision that's ultimately theirs. So uh, I'd love to start you off on that, if you would.
1: Yeah, so I, I was uh, a kid that grew up in an apartment complex, uh, no dad at home, raised by a single mom, four kids, started working when I was about 13. Started cold calling when I was about fifteen. Ended up in the family business, but I, I fronted a hair metal band uh from seventeen till about twenty five. So I know <laughs> and you're like, How's that possible when you have no hair? I had a lot of hair at the time, I promise you. And I went out to California and I, I needed to get a job so I could play music at night. And I went into staffing because it was what my family's business was. And I, ha- I got a new manager, which is a terrible thing to ever happen to you, because they come in and they have ideas about what needs to change, and they start asking questions. It's very uncomfortable for everybody. And I-, I had a manager who eventually realized our salespeople weren't selling, and that as an operational guy, I was winning all the clients. And he asked me, how How do you keep winning all these clients? And I said, Well, people when they come in, they interview, and I know where they used to work, so I know the kind of companies that would hire these kind of people that are coming in the door. And I call them and I ask them if I can have a meeting and some of them say yes. And I ask them if they have problems and some of them do and they share them with me. And then I ask them if I can help them with their problems and they say yes and that's how I make these clients. And he said great, I want you to cut your hair and go into full time outside sales. And I responded by, I mean what I heard him say was I want you to cut your hair and become an, an axe murderer, you know, because right. in my mind, like the sales, that's the worst possible thing. My total experience of salespeople was the car dealer who blocked the door and said, son, I don't want to see you leave here and you're not taking that car with you. And I'm like, i got to fight my way out of a dealership? This is crazy, you know, he's literally physically blocking the door. Um, mm-hmm. So I didn't want to do it. And and he he basically told me, I will fire you if you don't do it and i cut my hair up to shoulder length still wore a ponytail so i could play rock and roll at night and i went into outside sales and as it turns out sales is an other oriented endeavor and the more that you're focused on how do i help this person get the outcome that they can't get without me the easier it is to sell mm. and the more you try to get somebody to buy something because you're trying to sell it the harder it is for them to buy it because it's about you and it's not about them so I did that very naturally only because my resistance to selling was so high that I just thought, well, how do I be of service to other people? And uh, Daniel, to your, your point, it is an other oriented endeavor. And it probably always was, even though going all the way back to the early 1900s, you know, I, I, I understand the evolution of sales in this way you have an ice box and an ice man comes and drops off ice for your ice box that's on your back patio or on your front porch and, and the milkman comes by every week and you have to go in and say, you need a refrigerator. And people say, I've, I've lived, my grandparents never had a refrigerator, their grandparents never had a refrigerator, I don't need a refrigerator. So there's probably a lot of pressure necessary to build markets at some point in our history and so salespeople, figured out how to have a tougher conversation and try to force people into doing things that eventually did benefit them, but that's just not the world we live in. You know, the, the world that we live in now, there's lots of choices, you don't have to force anybody to do anything and the more you try to apply high pressure, hard sell tactics, I mean, the, the more you're making sales run, you're re- repelling customers instead of creating them.
2: That's uh, so good. I just wanted to backtrack and punctuate something. Back in the day, when the icebox, I, under, I i think I understand what you're saying. Back then, it was almost a requirement for us to evolve as a as as, as a community that we needed really people to push and shove yeah. their their ideology because we needed a refrigerator, and that's not the case today. Just based off of what you, where you believe we are in terms of the evolution of humanity—is that correct?
1: Right. That's right. I mean, and and uh, what what happens is when something no longer works we evolve. When we don't serve the buyer the way that they need to be served, we evolve. And we're still evolving. You know, the idea of leading with insight and and challenging the customer's view of their world, or what I would call capturing mindshare, that didn't used to be necessary. It was enough to have a sell sheet. It was enough to, to have a good product. It's just not enough anymore. And there will be something that comes after this.
2: Right. Okay. So let me ask you a question. If... Right now, it, it being sales, being uh, should be an outward. It's a it's something for the for the benefit of our prospects. Let's go inward a little bit and let's look at the perspective of of the salespeople that are struggling today in, in our industry. Uh, it is very inward because there's a, a mm-hmm. tremendous amount of fear. There's a tremendous amount of um, anxiety. Um, you know, and I think all people, all salespeople have uh, that type of challenge because they have things they need to gain in order to uh, proliferate their own business. How would you um, speak to um, a practitioner out there, an individual, that goes into a situation with a prospect that almost sees it as adversarial, certainly not of service, um, but are always combating this idea of serving someone, but at the same time serving themselves?
1: The, I mean, Zig Ziglar said this as well as anybody ever has. You can have anything you want if you help enough people get what they want. So I would tell you... Uh, if someone is adversarial, being adversarial back now means that there's two people behaving badly. And I would tell you, I I believe very, very strongly that conflict is necessary in almost all human interactions where change is going to be uh, a result. That said, the things that human beings have done where we do our very best work and where we make a difference, we turn something that's a conflict into a collaboration. And there's always a choice to say, do I need conflict here, or can I actually turn that into collaboration where we work on something together? So instead of looking at the other person as the obstacle, look at them and say, what are their real concerns? What is their real fear? So the real fear for the salesperson is, if I don't make this sale, I'm I'm not going to make any money, and if I don't make any money, then I can't pay my rent and my car payment, and I can't take care of my family, and if I can't take care of them, then we'll just go on and on until it's uh, I will be in the street eating dog food and living in a cardboard box. You know that that's the existential threat that's in their mind. But but that's not true and it's not necessary that you go into that kind of a mindset. The the right mindset is I can help this individual make the decision and the resistance they're giving me is about their real concern. Is this the right amount of money to spend? Is this going to work? Other people have told me it didn't work when they tried this. And so you have to resolve their concerns. And one of the things um, about the law of closing is you help them with a decision path where you're serving them and saying, you're going to have concerns, you're, you're going to have issues, you are going to have challenges. Let's talk about them and see what we can do together to move past some of these things. And, and that's when we do our very best work. Good stuff. It, it,
0: Anthony, you said uh, a word that I love, collaboration. It's our theme at Cairo Sushi this year. Um, In the past in our industry, uh, the 90s and the early 2000s, the standard would be for me and Dan to hate each other and talk much uh, awfully behind each other's (laughs) backs. Uh, instead, me and Dan run two different companies, and we support each other and collaborate.
1: Um, That's good because my wanted, uh, my psychotherapy rate is really high, and if I had to do some sort of a couples counseling right here, <laughs> it, it would cost you guys a fortune.
2: <laughs> it would mess you up too, Anthony. I promise. I
0: want. I want this. This is a great segue into your new book coming out because I'm really curious where you're going to go with this, and if you could give us. Obviously, we want people to support the book, but give us a general overview of, you know, uh, of what does it mean to take, to eat their own lunch? What's the theme of the book? Uh, I'm really, really curious because chiropractors, they're, they're an interesting breed, man. And, and I know you're going to share a little story about, you know, your your background with chiropractic. But I'm curious about, uh, from a competition standpoint, I think there's multiple layers of competition in our industry. But tell us about the book uh, and, and, and how it could be placed in the professional service providers, like what, why you think professional service providers like chiropractors should be intrigued and, and buy this book?
1: There's a, there's a book that's on my shelf right back here behind me. It's called Blue Ocean Strategy. And Blue Ocean Strategy was written by some professors at Harvard who said, you know, you should be Netflix, you should be Airbnb, you should be Uber, you should be something that allows you to eliminate all competition. And the blue part of the ocean is blue because there's not fierce competition and blood in the water from people trying to uh, to fight over wh- what's available. Okay, so first I will tell you, uh, there are plenty of customers available for anybody who wants to do good work. That, that will not be a problem for you. And the second thing I would tell you, this book is not... Uh, and I say this in the book, you, you do not have to be a Mafia Don and destroy your enemies. You do not have to be a warlord. You don't have to hate your competitors. That oh, doesn't serve you. I, I don't know but, if I want to read this book anymore. Uh, you were hoping I would tell you that. The, uh, the, the truth of the matter is competition comes down to who creates the greater value, who creates greater value. So the real competition, the contest is who can do the best job serving this particular customer. And when we get complacent and when we're apathetic and when we're transactional and when we don't care, we're opening up the opportunity for people to come in and eat our lunch and say, wait a second, they're not creating enough value for you, there's more valuable, uh, more value available to you. And so that's the real heart of competition, is actually playing the game better than someone else. So I think of it more like uh, a sporting event like football, or if you're in Europe, football, but we call it soccer here. Uh, It's more like you have to play your best game, they have to play their best game, and sometimes we win and sometimes they win. And uh, we're both trying to compete to create greater value for customers. And when customers don't have a vision of their future and they don't know what's better, the salesperson who creates what I call level four value or strategic value or just the highest level of value available, those people tend to over-index on taking other people's customers because they show up and say, there's a better future still available to you even though these people are taking care of you now. Mm-hmm. So the book is about what we call a competitive displacement. But the way that you do a competitive displacement, the way you execute that, is not by talking about your competitor, not, not by trying to have some sort of a combative relationship with anyone. It's about how do I create enough value to say there's something worth you changing. And remember, you know, in, in a medical profession, Uh, A relationship matters a lot and so if I'm going to take a client from someone else that person has to let go of the relationship they have which means there better be a really strong value proposition or I'm not leaving the person that I've known and trusted with this care Uh, and this is true for B2B, it's true for B2C, I'm not firing somebody that I've worked with for a long time unless there's a serious significantly great upside available to me uh, that's worth me making that change. So the bar is really, really high. But we don't talk about competition. We just pretend like it doesn't exist even though we all live in the red ocean. You know, Is, is there, uh, I, I don't know what the numbers are, but are there more than uh, five chiropractors in Westerville, Ohio where I live? Yes, many, many, many more, right, many more. So who's out capturing mindshare and teaching people about how to take care of themselves and how to feel better and how to have greater energy and all the things that a chiropractor does.
0: And, and Dan, I think you'll, maybe you'll have two cents on this too, but do you think that maybe we look at competition? like one? Some said something to me today. I'm at a chiropractic conference and it was really a great talk. He goes, I'm not concerned about the other chiropractors. What I'm concerned about is the hair salons um, and like other types of industries. He's like, I own my chiropractic. <clears throat> Are we looking at, at Different straight. I'm losing my voice. Sorry about this, Dan. If you
1: could <laughs> yeah. lose my voice. Here. You're really choked um, up over this point. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I, I know. Think I'm
0: starting like, out. think wow. I see tears. Uh, sure. Do we do we feel that we're looking that we're we're not looking at competition the right way? Then I it's mean,
1: what you're describing is alternatives. So uh, yeah. I might not have to displace a chiropractor. I may have to displace the nail salon. I mean, and and that that can be true too. I may have to displace. Uh, that budget is the budget I use to take my spouse to dinner. That's our date night budget, but I need it for this. So, yeah, there's a, there's certainly a broader – so the, there's a couple categories here, and this is like super sales nerd stuff, so I apologize cool. for the nerdiness of no, this. But yeah. here, here's the, the truth. So there's displacing a competitor. That's one thing. And then there's displacing a priority. So you also have to say, I have to move up in importance in order to displace – uh, another priority. That's a different level of competitive displacement, but it's the same. It's the same idea. You have to be more valuable than some other choice. Oh, that's so
2: good. That wasn't super yeah. nerdy at all. That that's that's just a truth bomb right there. Okay. So let me get super salesy nerdy with, nerdy with you, Anthony. Okay. So you you referenced and you said it's so matter of factly. And one of the things that I'm, we're trying to bring to our industry is a little bit of business acumen and sales nerdiness because that is something our industry is absolutely missing. It is, it is a, an industry that is does enormous good, and it's, it's a solution to a problem that nobody seems to have. So when you talk about value-added proposition, which is, which is a throwaway term that I see, I hear a lot of business people use, can you uh, go a little bit deeper? Let's can we just you know zoom in on the on the microscope a little bit, and in your expertise, in your experience, what are some examples just to give this thing context on how we how someone would improve their value-added proposition, let's say in the in industry of chiropractic.
1: So it, it's interesting. There's a, a video of a Google product coming out called Duplex, and I, I don't know if you've seen the video, but it's artificial intelligence. And it makes a call to a hair salon mm. to book a hair appointment for a, a, a pretend client, and the AI and the language is so good, you believe that you're listening to a human. So it's almost the Turek test kind of thing where you can yeah. you it's hard to tell because the voice is affected. It's like, um, well, can you you know? It's got all these these very human little pauses, and it. and and it was very interesting because the entire sales world when they saw this said cold calls are gone forever. It's not going to be done by artificial intelligence. And the first thing that I noticed was the AI was actually the customer, not the salesperson. And the salesperson that took the call did not do a great job creating value. And the question was, well, what what time works? Does this time work? And it was sort of very transactional. Well, if you're a hair salon or a chiropractor and you're transactional, Low caring always gets beaten by high caring. And you're in a business that I would call, there, there's two, two ways a business goes today, super transactional, super relational. you got to pick a lane here. Super transactional, all the friction's gone, the pricing is low, there's no reason for you to say, no, I'm trying to make selling as easy as possible. The high value, high trust, high caring, super relational means when that call came in, what the person taking that call to schedule that appointment would have said, if they were trying to create additional value, would have been, "Daniel, tell me about your client, and tell me about your client's preferences. What does she like to drink? Uh, what will she be driving when she shows up? You know, and I'm going to start getting really personal about that. And the more I get intimate, the more, and I mean intimacy, like I know you, I understand what you want, I understand your needs, I know how to take care of you." What magazine does this person want to read while they're waiting for their time here at the practice? What's important for them to have? Do we have uh, a big giant thing on the counter full of lemons and water and it's always changing and there's some delight or something? You know, there's a million things that you could do to differentiate and say, I'm going to give you a more personalized experience, which is what all of us want. And, and the, the caring part is expensive. It's not expensive financially. It's expensive in resourcefulness and initiative and caring and spending time with people, that's where it gets expensive and people are like, well, how do you scale that? That's the only thing you can scale. I mean, other than that, you're transactional and you're saying I'm going to give up the fight to actually have the relationship where this person comes back to me again and again and again and I own the relationship. In a chiropractic business, I would tell you it's very much about creating a preference. And if you decide to be personal, and if you decide to really try to get to know the people that you're working with and their preferences and caring, you're gonna over-index on retention and you're also gonna have people giving word of mouth because this experience is so different than anything else I've had. You don't have any choice, I don't think. I think you have to try to find a way to create greater value and it's gonna be high caring.
2: Good, Um, so I'm gonna segue this into Uh, Your personal experience with chiropractors because um, it's funny how you led off with that. So so I I just want to I'll just open the floor to you. So why don't you because obviously you had one experience that was not good and then you had a good one. So there must have been a transition there that some type of emotional visceral need within Anthony happened for you to actually use another chiropractor that was successful. So uh, share that with us
1: so i'm, I'm going to go way way back in time i'm fronting a, a a hard rock band here in columbus ohio it's a lot of head banging on the stage so there's a lot of next stuff going on <laughs> i'm i'm following uh my date home she's driving a jeep i'm driving a little uh chrysler laser i get rear ended by a car going about 50 miles an hour drunk driver smashes into the back of my car i smash into the back of the the woman i'm dating's car which is not not really the best idea for a date but we had an interesting thing to talk about from that point forward because a drunk driver hit us and then took off a uh, lot of net problems literally i got the car repaired the day i picked the car up from the repair shop i was rear-ended again and the damage was exactly the same as the first time i drove it right back to the place that repaired it and the owner came out and said I saw that car with my own eyes, I promise you, it was perfect, it was perfect, I saw it. And I said, I know, I just got hit again in exactly the same way in exactly the same place. Uh, And so more, uh, I wasn't prepared for the first hit, but the second time I saw the car in the rearview mirror, so I tensed up. And so that gave me a much, much greater impact on that particular hit. So I went to a chiropractor and uh, there's the the uh, electro-shocking things and the heat and all the other stuff. It's very, very, very transactional. It was sort of like a uh, an assembly line, and mm. uh, it didn't get better. So for some time, you know, I tried that, and then my sister said, well, "You need to go see my chiropractor. He does something different." And I'm like, mm. "Yeah, chiropractic th- th- that doesn't work." I said, "It's it's, uh, it's it's voodoo. It's black magic. There's nothing there. It's fake." And she said, "Why don't you see my chiropractor before you make up your mind?" And I said, "Okay, I'll do that." And I went in and, is it called an actuator? Activator.
0: Activator.
1: Activator, it's an activator, okay. I've been saying it wrong for a lot of years then. So the activator, (laughs) um, he he uses the activator. So instead of doing the stuff that everybody else did, he said, I think I want to try something that has worked for other people and let's see if it works for you. He's very consultative. And he told me it was going to do and he does it. And I'm like, I don't feel any different. But then I got in my car and I was driving home and I turned my head to look in the lane next to me Mm -hmm. and I could turn my head probably uh, three times what it was able to turn at that time and I'm like, holy criminy, I have a full range of motion. I'd forgotten what a full range of motion in your neck does for you. And I I don't know, and you guys know this better than I do, uh, when you talk about a business model I don't think most of us know how much damage is going on right now because we walk around like this with our head down, we're always on a screen. I think there's a lot of stuff going on in the neck and back area right now. Now I'm getting super Cairo nerdy with you guys, sorry. but uh, I, and I don't think that people realize that when you don't feel well, when, when you don't feel good physically, it starts to take a toll on your emotional energy as well. And So I think people are grouchy because they're in some sort of uh, very low level pain but all the time, they're always in a low level of pain, and so they're like, well, I can live with this pain, but they don't recognize the toll that it's taking on their emotional state and their energy and their how much work they're capable of doing, so I think it matters a great deal. So chiro, uh, the chiropractic, chiropractic practice that I went to uh, did a really good job, and I went back, a, a, I don't know, maybe a dozen times, and um, my my neck was much, much better after that. And everything else that I had had done uh, didn't make any impact. This did, and I think that that's that's sort of like you treat the patient, and this doctor had a good understanding of what he thought would work, and it did. So I think other things work in other cases, but in mine, that's what did it for me. So
2: you brought up a a key word that I just kind of jumped on, and that was uh, consultative. Compared to, I would say, what the opposite of consultative would you say, transactional? Transactional. Just, yeah. Look, can you uh, draw a contrast for us on those two um, terms, and maybe even add some context to that, for example, with some examples?
1: Uh, I I had to visit my doctor um, last year. I didn't feel well, and I needed to get some tests run. And my doctor, if you walk into a doctor's office now, you will be with your doctor for some amount of time, less than seven minutes. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, my doctor went out of town. So I needed to have a follow-up visit, but he was unavailable. So I had to have a meeting with his nurse practitioner. And because a nurse practitioner has a different role, my meeting with my nurse practitioner was 30 minutes, which is a shocking it's four times plus longer than the time I had with my actual doctor. And so where he is transactional because of the way that the medical profession runs now because it's been transformed you know, for a whole bunch of reasons, the nurse practitioner was able to ask me, you know, what are you eating? How much time are you sleeping? Let's take these tests. Let's do all these things. And uh, I told him eventually when he came back from vacation, uh, if it's all the same to you, I'll just meet with the nurse practitioner because it's just a way better experience. She's trying to get intimacy, she's trying to understand. He doesn't have time to understand because of the way that they're compensated and the way that medicine works now. But she's allowed to be high caring, high trust, high value. She's allowed to follow up and make a call. He can't do that because he's got seven minutes and he's got to move on. So that's the difference. It's how do you treat people when they're there? If somebody comes in and they're in pain, uh, they're trying to get out of that pain. And the more you treat them like they're a transaction and this one recipe is right for everybody, we run them down this assembly line, the more you're showing people that you don't care and that's when people get, uh, they, they start to open up to looking at new places. And I'll give you one other example of the difference. Uh, my wife and I go to two restaurants and uh, we're very much creatures of habit. Tonight we will go to a chain called Brio and we like Brio because it's consistent and it's right on the main street as we we drive down in, into the the city. Uh, at Brio, we're there uh, every other Friday night for years. I mean, we generally rotate between these two. No one there knows our name. No one there has any idea. We're we're this we're there every every two weeks. We're always there. They have the same people at the desk. They don't know us. Across the street is a place called Polaris Grill. It's it's not a chain. It's owned by a group of people that live here in the community. And immediately they know that we want to sit in the bar and they have the booth that we like set aside for us because they know us, they know our name, and they're going to make sure that they take care of us. That's the difference between transactional and consultative. And so if we have a choice, uh, we're going to go where people know our name, where people care about us, where people are going to know what our preferences are. And I keep waiting for Brio to catch up, but they never catch up. You know, it's amazing uh, that,
2: I don't know, I let's see, I've been in practice almost 20 years, and I find that the marketplace is changing and becoming more sophisticated and even more demanding at an exponential rate. Um, it was way different 10 years ago than it was even three years ago, and I feel like every day they're demanding more. What's your outlook on this from, because I know you work with many other industries, and. The reason we love having guys like you on here is because uh, you represent an, um, a kind of like a, we're looking at a periscope outside of our Cairo Island, and that's why I love sushi. And he, um, Tristan, does a great job bringing guys like you and other people that are, you know have have enormous experience outside of our industry, that obviously plays well into what's going on in our industry. So in terms of the marketplace in general, where number one, I already know they're getting more for sophisticated. Um, a, I'd like for you to agree with me on that one, uh, B, and if you do, uh, can you offer some insight on why and um, um, and maybe some other things happening in the business world that's creating that?
1: I, I don't think it's the business world. I think that we're in the middle of a cultural evolution for sure. Uh,
2: mm-hmm. I
1: think that we are in the middle of a technological revolution that we're just at the beginning of, even though I, I know people think that you know, we're, we're way down the path with technology. We're, we're paving over the cow paths right now. We're, we're not there yet. What comes later is going to be far more disruptive than what what's happened right now. I think that there are uh, expectations that have changed and uh, I'll just use Amazon as an example. I, I am now such a baby, all of us are, that I can't wait to get a package for two days. I have to have Amazon Prime <laughs> now because I have to have what I want delivered to me this, this instant. And so the expectations from buyers have changed dramatically because we have the technology to make this happen. Uh, I'm not going to ride in a taxi cab. I'm going to ride in a black car. You know, And I mean, so the expectations right. just continue to get raised. But if you think about just the, the evolution of human beings and the evolution of marketplaces, it only goes in one direction. Right. It only goes towards greater value cre- creation. Yes, yes. So we're, we're not going to go hunter-gatherer agrarian, industrial age, information age, agrarian. We're not going back to agrarian. I mean, the value, it only goes, we get more sophisticated, our needs get more complex, and it just continues to go this way. So the people that succeed are the people that figure out what works now. And the expectation is, if you want to look at the general expectation from human beings, what we want more than anything else are psychological things like certainty, Mm -hmm. like belongingness like right. somebody cares about me. Significance, you know my name. If I walked into Brio tonight and they said, Mr. Anarino, we have your table ready, I would be like, these people are great. And listen, so that's a chain, but I, I want just to just give you a contrast. I was at the Royal Garden uh, Hotel in Kensington in London last year. No, this year, I'm going back there next week. Mm. There's a Starbucks across the street. I walked into the Starbucks, they don't brew coffee in England. They, they make Americanos, so it's not right. the same thing. And it's not as good, if I'm being honest. So, But that's what they do. So I walked in and I said, uh, I'll have a venti Americano with room. That's what I, I always get. I get a large black coffee with room. Second day I come in, I say I'll have a venti Americano with room. The third day I walk in, there's a, a Polish immigrant who's working behind the counter. I'm halfway into the store And he turns around and says to the barista, Venti Americano with room. And -hmm. the barista starts making the drink. And I said, that is amazing to me. Like This is my third time in your store. I've only been here for three days. This is my third time into the store. How do you know my order? He said, I have 54 regular customers. I know every one of their orders and I can order as soon as I see them hit the door, I can turn around and place the order. And I said, yeah, but it's my third time. And he goes, yeah, but you've always get the Venti Americano. So he he turned around and did it, so it's, it's a matter of caring enough to try to capture what people's preferences are. It's about caring enough to ask them questions and find out what they really want. What do they really want? All of us want to be acknowledged. All of us want to be significant or important in some way. Everybody does. And so when you treat people like I'm too busy for you, their natural reaction is to say, well, I'm going to work with somebody who cares enough about me that I'm important to them, right? That, that's not going to change. That's not going to change. It's a deep human need. So, Anthony,
0: I want to I want to say 1st uh, of I'll give a shout out uh, for people who are joining us live or listening to this later on Sushi. Um, we're with Anthony Anarino. he's the author of the Eat Their Lunch: Winning Customers Away from Their Competition. Um, also the author uh, previously of the Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need. I want to ask you something from a B two B perspective because we push at Sushi. Um, looking outside of the B2C model that we're constantly in. I think there's a ton of opportunity, especially with the startup world, for chiropractors to sell their wares from a peak optimization, peak performance as a perk for for businesses. Um, But the one struggle that chiropractors have is typically the starting point. What are some tips, action strategies for picking up? Because cold calling, Um, It's not, you know, I I was lucky enough in San Francisco to run a SaaS company from the inside sales department, and I was restricted because I couldn't leave the state of California for a hot minute, so I was, my only way of making sales was I had to pick up the phone. Um, What are some tips and strategies for some chiropractors who have some, you know, uh, fear for for cold calling, And, and what are your thoughts on that with chiropractors working in the B2B space?
1: I mean, there's so much opportunity right now to do something different and disrupt the industry. I mean, it's true for every industry. So I I live uh, in a place called Westerville, Ohio, and outside this window that's letting the light come in here that you see is a 27-hole uh, golf course. There's three, three nine-hole golf courses here. So there's a couple different ways that you can play golf. I would tell you that of 100% of the people that play golf, uh, most of them are not physically fit to the level that they would like to be, and most of them do not have the range of motion that would allow them to play the game more successful. And to have a meeting and call the medallion club here and say, listen, you have a lot of people that play golf. One of the reasons that they don't play very well is they lack the core strength that they need and they also lack a full range of motion. We want to come in and do a one-hour seminar and give people some exercises they could use to be able to mm-hmm. get a, a greater range of motion and we'll do some adjustments for some people if they need it on site. And, and you show up and do that and you're going to have a whole bunch of people who are like, wait a second, my swing is now completely different now because I'm limber enough mm-hmm. to move this way because I got adjusted a, a little bit. And, and there's, of course, there's a sustainable business model there of let's check. And, and when you think about functioning as a human being as you get older, The structure matters, your flexibility matters, your energy level matters, your strength matters, your endurance matters. All of that is part of your physical body. And so I I said this earlier, and I I feel this is true. Uh, It's true in my experience, but I think it's just more generally true. When your body feels good, you feel better. When you get a good night's sleep and you're hydrated and you're functional and you're not walking around with a low level of pain all the time, you're just going to have a much more fulfilled life because your physical structure, you know, in your mind and your consciousness, it lives in this body. So whatever you think about that, it lives in there. So whatever this thing is feeling, the mind is part of that. So if it's a toxic environment and it's full of pain and it's full of stress and it's full of fear, you know, you can feel better a lot faster if you just start taking care of that. I mean, I would tell you for most people, you want to feel better, uh, get another hour's sleep and see if you don't feel better. You're gonna feel better. Get get an adjustment and and get some flexibility and get rid of that low level of pain. You're gonna feel better.
0: How, how do you how do you transfer that? I mean, you get so much confidence in that, and that's the biggest struggle that I think chiropractors will have is that you know that conviction and certainty. Of picking up a phone and sounding just like you just did right there, so smoothly. What, what 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 would be something simple that they could do maybe from a practice level, to just get over that hump? The, so
1: the, the, this is so if you were walking by, uh, and let, let's say you're a, a somebody who's an exceptional swimmer and you were a lifeguard through your entire high school and college years, and you walk by someone and you see them drowning and you're like, you know what, I really don't want to bother them right now. They look busy. I'm afraid to offer them help right now because they're under a bunch of stress already. No, they're hurting. Your obligation is to go serve people. So the reason Hmm. I have the confidence in this is because I'm trying to serve people. And if they're hurting and you can do something to make them better and feel better and give them a better life, why did you get into this in the first place?
2: Oh, boom! Drop the mic why right there. Why did you get into
1: this in the first place? <laughs> you know, you know, you got so into funny. This to help people feel yeah. better. So yeah. why are you not going to them I... and saying I can help you feel better?
2: Oh my god! I was, I was like, I know the answer to this one, Tristan. God, I hope Anthony says this. <laughs> Amen, man. And and Tristan, aren't you at DE right now?
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, and uh, I, I completely agree with that. It's your—I always said—to um, our—to our contingency. It's—it's it's your obligation and your duty to sell what you do. And mm-hmm. if you don't feel like it's your obligation, your duty, you shall—you shouldn't be doing what you do. And yeah. uh, and especially in our industry, just because it represents something that can increase the 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 life effect of a person's human frame and and even uh, their emotional state. So. I completely agree with that. Thank you so much. I have a question. I don't know if we're running out of time, but I'm dying. Dan, yeah, yeah,
0: you close it out. We'll, we'll, we'll close it out and, and. Okay. Make it
2: really good. <laughs> okay, it's really good. It's really good. So my question is this, and it's probably loaded because I know who I'm talking to. Um, many of my colleagues, and uh, you know, fifty, sixty thousand chiropractors are worldwide. If that, uh, don't believe that sales is something that they should be learning, that it is not a thing. They believe that it's some esoteric thing that doesn't deserve its due diligence and actual – Just love,
0: Dan. Just love.
2: love. Oh, yeah. If I just love and light and I just, you know, and I'm in a better energy field, that's the only thing that's going to uh, that's gonna help my business. Um, what do you say to that?
1: I mean, people are allowed to hold on to their delusions as long as they want to. <laughs> I mean, then, then, that's fine. But if if you want to go out and serve people, I mean, you, you've got to act like a missionary. I mean, you got to go to where they are and, mm-hmm. and, and help them, and you, you have to sell. So there's there's two kinds of, uh, of, of businesses, and, and entrepreneurial businesses specifically. There's the kind that says, I'm a chiropractor and I have to do some selling. But yeah. then there's other businesses that say I'm a sales organization that creates value by being a chiropractor.
2: Mm-hmm. Those,
1: are, those are two different businesses and yes. you immediately recognize those are two different businesses. Selling is something I don't want to do. I want to be successful without having to talk to clients and without having to do these things. I just want people to come and you know I do this every time I speak to a company. I tell them I walked right through their parking lot and I, I moved all the people that were waiting in line to buy from them out of the way and I barged right through the front door. You know, because there, there's no, other than this device, the Apple, other than that, there's no line of people waiting to buy what you sell. Right. So you have to do something, you have to go get them and bring them into this concept and to have this conversation. And to what? To uh, to the earlier point, you know, you you can be consultative by saying, I don't know if this is helpful for you or not, but there are people who like to play golf and who have stressful jobs and who are busy executives just like you. And what we found is that if you give us 30 minutes every week, I'm going to improve your golf game, I'm going to improve your business, I'm going to improve your attitude, you're going to feel a lot better, you're going to sleep a lot better. And if you'll give me an hour of sleep and drink some water when you wake up in the morning, you're going to get a lot more done. You know, And it's all true. And you in you can have that conversation. You can have a, a membership model where people say, this thing is important enough for me to take care of it. And I'm gonna get help and take care of it to the best of my ability, because I wanna use it for as long as I've been given, right?
0: Boom. Um, good
1: stuff. I
0: wanna th- thank you so much, uh, Anthony, uh, and, and of course, Daniel. Uh, if you guys are listening to this, obviously I want you guys to know about uh, Close for Cairo. Check out, their our partners at Cairo Sushi. Uh, Dan is the man, if you're looking to get the yes with less stress, but obviously we're also uh, promoting Anthony's book, which is coming out on November 6th. It's already already number one in new releases in the sales and selling management category at Amazon. It's called Eat Their Lunch, Winning Customers Away from Your Competition. Uh, Pre-order your book right now today. Uh, so that you can have it delivered, like Anthony was talking about. We, you don't have to wait anymore. You can have Prime deliver it right when it's released. Uh, really looking forward to that book, Anthony. And I want to thank you for sharing so many, as we love to say, nuggets in, in uh, today with us. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you Ed, for for having me on. I appreciate you bringing me on the show.
0: Guys, thank you. Check out Anthony's book. We have the links <laughs> above, and check out his sales blog. Thank you, Danny